Indeed, it's good for my family and me to be back with the Pippin congregation, our spiritual family and home, and inasmuch as we had the privilege of being invited to be a part of those gospel meetings at both Bloomington Springs and Leeville, we certainly greatly miss this congregation. You were in our thoughts and prayers on an often basis, and we're very happy to be back home. We're certainly so thankful and delighted for those men who were able to use their talents and skills in that way that they did. Perhaps it'd be in order to express a special thanks to Brother Harold, as well as Brother Jeff, I think, who, who took care of the lessons the last couple of Sunday mornings. And certainly, as we are blessed with men of such high and great talent, we can be appreciative of how much they can teach us as they've studied and make preparation of their lessons. As we're back with you today, though, we certainly are excited to see some faces, those who've been sick and able to be back. Certainly, we continue to think about those who are ill and sick, and we certainly hope that your days are, and for their families as well, are indeed better. Lessons from a weed. In fact, as you give thought to that particular entitlement, it perhaps does also remind me that we should add one more announcement to that list of things that Brother Ted shared with us earlier. Our, in the last business meeting discussion was made about a men's training class or a men's leadership class. And this afternoon at the 4 o'clock hour will be our initial meeting of that. So all the men, please uh, put that on your calendar and, and uh, be with us this afternoon at the 4 o'clock time slot if you can. It will be a situation in which we're not going to put pressure, but other just try to be instructive, helping each of us to do a better job as we use what talents God has given each of us to serve God and allow worship to be more fruitful and more encouraging to all those who are present. Lessons from a weed. I thought that particular title might capture and captivate us as we give some thought to what might be involved in it. For certainly those of us who live in this part of the world know very well about weeds. We see them frequently. We have to deal with them often. And I thought that, in fact, in my own experience on, on our place, many things can be learned oddly enough, it seems to me, from a weed. I thought this morning as we give some thought to them, it might be of benefit to each of us. By way of introduction to that, the happiness that we each feel in serving God. Happy is that people whose God is the Lord, to quote Psalm 144 verse 15. The happiness that we feel in being able to be His servants. To in fact set forth a proper and right influence and example is truly something irreplaceable in life. And just as much as we are aware of God's greatness about us, isn't it amazing how teachable moments can sometimes occur in the most unusual of circumstances? By that I mean an event and a time when you and I ourselves can learn great lessons or when we can in fact teach someone else a great lesson and it may occur at a moment that seems unusual. Perhaps on a clear night when you gaze up into the expansiveness of the heavens and you immediately are aware of the ultimate millions of stars and constellations. That's an appropriate time when you and I can stand in sheer appreciation of just how great God is. And that might be a time to point it out to a youngster who might be nearby. Or after a very refreshing rainfall, when not a few moments earlier the grass was brown and withered and perhaps the plants were as well, and suddenly a refreshing rain comes and there is a reinvigoration. There is a resetment, if you please, of life. And doesn't that remind us of John 4.14, when Christ is the living water, and He will fill your life and mine and reinvigorate us as well. I'd submit just as surely as those things are vital teaching points, 
so too is a weed. Just look with me at a few lessons that we might learn from weeds this morning. And maybe as you think about your lawn or what's behind your house, you can perhaps easily imagine some of what we're about to describe. The first lesson, it seems to me appropriate, would be to give thought of some things that are more on the negative side. I suspect that most of us, when we think about weeds, we think about something that's not wanted, something we'd like to eliminate, something that in fact is not fruitful, something that's negative. And as you give thought to the negative aspect of weeds, one of the first things that perhaps comes to mind is that weeds seem to grow with no effort on your part at all. They'll come up in the garden, out beside the fence row, in your yard. They grow without you having to plant them. They grow without you having to fertilize and encourage them. They just occur. And in that very same way, isn't it amazing to perhaps at least on occasion look at some pictures that I thought might drive the points home. Here is somebody's garden. Clearly it wasn't taken much care of. As you can see, the weeds are rampant. They're abundant. They have grown with a little effort on the person's part. They just appear. But notice that that lesson helps us appreciate too that in life the weeds will naturally appear. When you can give thought to bad habits, when you give thought to the spiritual aspect of living, it takes tremendous effort to live in that way that's good and right. And that will require an investment on your part and mine. But rest assured, the weeds will just come on their own. Bad habits. Associations with those that aren't noble and right. Influences from those that would try to drag you lower into what you really should be. Those will just automatically occur. Just like weeds naturally occur with no effort. In fact, you'll remember that Jesus spoke about something along this line, didn't he, in Luke 11. Beginning in verse 24 of that chapter, Jesus spoke about an evil or unclean spirit who, though it had been cast out, it says that it sought a place to dwell. And then it made the decision, I'll return to my house, my former dwelling place. And when he arrived, he found it swept and garnished. And not only he, but he took with him a total making seven others just as wicked as himself. And you'll notice that that helps us know, see here too, that when that unclean spirit had been cast out, the person should have invested effort and labor to fill life with that which is good and right, good habits, productive things, and matters that would assist him or her in being far more fruitful in the ways of God. When in fact, the evil spirit or unclean spirit found it swept and garnished. Nothing had been done. No effort had been invested. And so it was that we noticed that which is evil only requires you and I do nothing. Sit back and do nothing and the weeds in your life will grow. Bad habits will abound. Poor influences will in fact bring you to a point that that's all you'll become. Just as surely as weeds, you see, don't require any effort, you notice the weeds in your life and mine also don't require any effort. But just the opposite is true. If you and I want our lives to be as God would have it to be, it's going to require labor and effort 
and work. It'll take intense concentration. It'll take determination and devotion to set aside by virtue of repentance those activities that are bad and to fill that void with that which is good. But we each, just as surely as we'd like to have a garden that's fruitful, none of us want a garden that looks like that. It's not good for anything. May I submit that our life, if it comes spiritually to look like that, is also far, far from what it ought to be. If we want a life that is a plentiful, fruitful, ripened garden, we need to invest the effort and the labor and the determination to always ensure that that end is in sight and that viewpoint is what is interesting for us. You might ask, well, how do we do that? Paul wrote in Ephesians 5.15 that you and I must walk circumspectly. That's an interesting adverb, isn't it? Circumspectly. How then should you and I walk in this life so that the weeds won't look like what we just saw a moment ago? That word circumspectly has in its meaning diligence and effort as well as carefulness and ethics. Did you know diligence and effort? It will require intense labor to ensure that that which is good will produce much in your life and mine and that those bad habits, be they lying or laziness or smoking or the other matters that one could list, those will be far removed from us and be able to redound unto the glory and goodness of God. Our first lesson of the day, weeds, you see, grow without effort and so too will the weeds in your life. Perhaps a second lesson, what else can a weed teach us? You might also give some thought to this one. Weeds can be attractive. It is the case that sometimes a weed, though it's unproductive and though it's not a desirable thing in terms of fruitfulness, it nonetheless can appear pretty. It can appear attractive. In fact, here's a picture of one. That is a weed, believe it or not. It would not, however, be good. You wouldn't want it probably in your garden, and you likely may not even want it in a flower bed. It's a weed. And you see, weeds can well be attractive, and doesn't that remind us that those weeds in our life can also appear attractive? Even though we've just learned that they're unproductive and that they do not lead one and encourage one to heaven, they nonetheless can be enticing. There's a great warning in that for each of us today. Because of the attractiveness, the weeds mask the danger. Remember, these are the devil's matters. They will encourage one to slide aside from God. And those weeds in your life will in fact lead you to an eternity in hell. They are taking you from the service of God. They're filling your life with the devil's matters. And you and I need to realize there's great danger despite the fact they look attractive. In fact, wasn't it true that Moses realized this in Hebrews 11, verse 25 and 26? It was there said of Moses that he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Sin, you see, had pleasure behind it. It had an attitude of attractiveness. And isn't it true there are many in our world who want to serve the God on Sunday and tend weeds during the week? It doesn't work that way. It does not work that way. In fact, it's not possible to wade through the weeds during the week and then try to serve God on Sunday. 
we must have a life every day that's weed-free, that is that one which desires with dedication to not have those spiritual weeds present. Daniel knew that lesson well, didn't he? In Daniel 1a, we there remember that despite the fact this youngster, probably still in his teens, was taken far from his homeland into that evil place called Babylon, it says Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself. He had the determination and intent that despite the attractiveness of what the king offered, the king offered him to eat at his table. All the enjoyment that associated with that food and the drink that went with it, Daniel would have none of it. You see, Daniel knew what those weeds would bring. Do you and I realize that? Sin may look fun to all of us. Young person and older alike, sin may look enticing and enjoyable, and Satan will ensure that it looks that way. Don't give in to it for a moment. Don't turn your attention to it. Don't try to straddle a fence of godliness, living with one foot in the world and another foot serving God. That simply doesn't happen. Jesus said, either you're for me or you're against me in Matthew 12, verse 30. If you don't sow with me, you scatter abroad. Thus, we must be wholeheartedly in service to Him. And you'll notice the attractiveness of these weeds leads us to conclude briefly that there are thus no excuses for the weeds. Jesus wrote and spoke for us in Luke sixteen fifteen that that which looks attractive to men is abominable before God. May you and I never forget that fact, that what looks attractive and so noble and rewarding to men is abomination in the eyes of God. When it comes to serving Him, it's what does this book say? What does it command and what should life be for us? Not what the world says or what your buddy says or what your cohorts at school may declare. Those matters challenge us always that the weeds of life, you see, can look attractive. May we be wise enough to not fall into service to them. But in addition to looking attractive, what else does a weed do? As you've noticed in that picture we looked at earlier, perhaps it's worthwhile looking at it again. Would it be possible to think that there were beans or tomatoes or corn or something in that garden? I don't know whose garden that is. I just found the picture. I probably would have been ashamed to put it up for public viewing, but this person did. The thought is, if that were any kind of garden initially, whatever was once there has long since been choked out. No beans, no corn, no tomatoes, no watermelons. Nothing is to be seen but weeds. They have choked out that which will have any opportunity for productivity. And that's one other lesson you and I can learn from a weed. Give a weed a start and don't, in fact, offer to check it and it will soon control everything. And that's true in your life and mine. Give the weeds the license to do what they want, and they will overrun everything. They'll choke out what's good in your life. They will bring you to a sadness and a depression in the eyes of your service to God. The day will come, you'll look back and say, I've wasted ten years of my life. I could have been serving the Lord. God gave me that talent, and at once I was using it, but I've long since stopped. You see, it was choked out with weeds. How many a wayward Christian have you heard and known who in essence said something like that? 
Perhaps in time I was faithful. I attended the services. If I was a man, I aided in the carrying out of the public service. I taught classes. I encouraged others to be faithful. But then, perhaps one Sunday or two in a row, I just didn't go. And suddenly ten years passed by and I've done nothing. You see, that could happen to any person that lets the weeds start growing. Those weeds will choke out what's good. And they'll leave nothing behind but a garden that's worthless. As you give thought to this matter of choking, you'll notice that Jesus taught about that, didn't he, in Luke chapter 8. When he taught that parable that you and I call the parable of the sower of the seed, that sower went out to sow and four kinds of soil are described. There's that wayside soil, the thorny soil, there's that stony soil, but there's the good soil. Might I ask you to recall the thorny soil for just a moment? What did the Lord describe as that heart that was the thorny variety? Jesus said that the sower sowed and there were thorns, and it says literally they choked out the, the seed. And that's how I got the same word choke. Jesus made note that what started to grow was choked out with the thorns. And you'll notice that Jesus identified the thorns. He said it's the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of the world. How many of us are overcome with the cares of the world? Or at least we can imagine it happening. So many things the world sets before us, and when we give all of our attention to that, that'll choke out everything else, won't it? We leave no time for the services of the church, no time to do those other matters that God would inquire and ask of us choking out that which is good. Just as surely as the weeds choke those matters out. I have tried to emphasize and underline one of the aspects near the bottom of that slide. The Bible teaches us it's not that the weeds might choke out the good. They will do it. In Romans twelve twenty one, the last verse of that chapter, we read this statement, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. It is a certainty that if you and I don't check the weeds, if we don't invest the effort to remove and eliminate them and cultivate that which is good, the weeds will take over your life and mine. That's just the way it is. Just like they took over the person's garden, they'll take over our life. The question then that must be asked, are you and I investing what we should to eliminate the weeds? Are we involving ourselves in those matters taught in Scripture that will lead to productivity and fruitfulness for God? If not, the weeds will take us, and our life will become devoid of that which is noble and fruitful for God. You'll notice near the bottom of that slide, I mentioned earlier about the wayward Christian. That person who has long since lost faithfulness, Maybe you and I have known of individuals that once attended here. And we appreciated them as faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. But they no longer come. In fact, you and I may know for a fact they don't attend anywhere. They have just lost sight of interest in the church. They don't show forth any appreciation to our Heavenly Father. They seem unconcerned about the worship. Perhaps if they're not in this community, you may know of family members or others in the other communities that might be described this way. Let's pause for a moment and ask, what is the status of their life? If 
thankfully Peter answers that question for us so that we need not wonder about it. In verses 20 through 22 of Second Peter chapter 2, we notice and read the following statements. That, speaking of these individuals, who escaped the pollutions of this world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are entangled again and overcome, the latter end with them is worse than the beginning. Isn't that amazing? You'll notice that they had escaped the pollutions of the world. Thus, they had cleared the weeds. They no longer were subscribing to those matters of forcing and following the things of the devil. The weeds had been eliminated. But he goes on to say, if they're again entangled, they let the weeds start growing again. And it goes on to say they're overcome. Not only did the weeds begin to grow again, the weeds were given the opportunity to do what they wanted. The person became overcome. The latter end, Peter said, is worse than the beginning. Verse 21 describes it like this. It had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But is it, is it happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog turneth again to his own vomit, or the sow that was washed who were wallowing in the mire? Isn't it a fascinating thing to notice? Here were the individuals who had eliminated the weeds. However, the weeds came back and choked out what was good and overcame them, and the latter, their latter end was worse than the, what they had started to be. How can that be? Because now they'd known the Savior. Before they'd become a Christian, they'd never tasted the goodness of that blessing and had given their lives over to following it. After knowing that, then to turn aside from it, they now were in a worse state than they'd started with. And at judgment, they will meet a heavier judgment from the God of heaven if they don't eliminate the weeds one more time. May you and I thus think about that picture in light of ourselves. As Christians, let us not let the weeds get a toehold in the garden of our life. Let us make sure to invest the effort in labor, attending those services, singing praises to God, turning to His Word for the answers to life's questions, and striving to do all that God would have us to be as husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, and children, so that we can keep the weeds at bay. You'll notice in light of all them, Another lesson in addition to those three. This particular lesson perhaps has often crossed your mind as well. Weeds, I would submit, take us back to the scene of the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapters 2 and 3. In fact, it seems that as I work in the yard and weed, one of the things that almost always crosses my mind is this. I think about what Eden was like. You might remember on that occasion, God planted a garden eastward in Eden, Genesis 2.9. And in that, the text says, God brought forth everything that was good for man. All his food was prepared for him. It was present on the trees and there provided for his nourishment and sustenance. But then a dramatic thing happened in chapter 3. When sin entered the world, Eve partook of the forbidden fruit, gave to Adam, and he ate of it as well. We remember that that was a transgression of God's law. Sin entered the world, and as God doled out the punishments, addressing the serpent, and then the woman, and then the man, when he arrived at Adam, he said this, 
verses 17 to 19 of Genesis chapter 3. He spoke about the character of in sorrow. And that word in Hebrew means in toil shalt thou eat bread. Thorns and thistles shall it be bring forth. You'll notice that wasn't said before. Suddenly now weeds are going to be rampant. Thorns and thistles will naturally occur. And Adam, you're going to have to work by the sweat of your face to make good come and grow. And don't you and I know that well today. You walk out into the garden and if no effort's invested, the weeds will be abundant. But if you want a good garden there, you'll have to work. Hoeing it, tilling it, fertilizing it, weeding it, constantly taking care of it. I would submit every time you and I weed a garden, we ought to be reminded of the awfulness of sin. Look what it did to this earth. The curse that God placed upon it by virtue of the thistles and thorns it will naturally bring forth. You notice that as we think about the magnitude of sin and just how cursed this earth is because of it, that ought to be a constant reminder of the glory of heaven, a place where no sin is. There will be no weeds in heaven. Not a single weed's going to be there. All that will be present is the glorious goodness of God's eternal garden. And all you and I, as we have the opportunity to sing praises to Him forevermore, as the bountiful labors in that lovely garden, we appreciate how different it's going to be in this place. To give some thought about the nature of that singing and the change that was wrought on this earth, the curse that came with the thorns and thistles, isn't it amazing that we read in Romans 7 verse 4 that your life and mine is such that we have been purchased and set by and set forth for God so that we could bring forth much fruit to Him. Is your life a life of great fruitfulness for God? Is my life that way? It is a sobering question, isn't it? It's a question that's worth a great deal of thought. As sin reminds us, or has been reminded to us of these matters from Genesis chapters 2 and 3, perhaps one more lesson, and then we'll draw our lesson today to its conclusion. So far we've learned that the weeds grow so easily. We've learned that in fact as they grow, they remind us how that we too must invest the effort to keep the sins and the bad habits from our lives. And so far all the things we've learned have been negative in regard to weeds. I would submit, though, there's at least one thing that's positive you can say about a weed. And this one positive matter, I think, is also a good lesson for each of us today because it's taught in the Word of God. One other thing you can say about a weed is it seems to be able to grow almost everywhere. It is truly amazing at times the places that a weed can grow. For example, look at that picture. There is a rock cliff. No soil to be seen anywhere, and a weed is growing straight out of the side of this rock cliff. Believe it or not, a weed is able to grow even in a place like that. And I would submit that there's a grand lesson in that for all of us, too. Just as surely as life can present hardships like rocks, difficulties, persecutions, and afflictions... Hard times that perhaps shake us to the foundation, we should nonetheless understand that if a weed can grow there, God would encourage us also to grow in places like that. And I have written those thoughts in language like this.
there is thus the need for perseverance. Steadfastness, if you will. That lesson text that was read in our hearing earlier by Brother Colonel, in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight, he wrote, Brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. There are so many verses in the Bible that encourage us to ever understand the fact that there are going to be times that are hard. Difficulties are going to arise. You're going to face catastrophes in your life. If you live long enough, it's a guaranteed thing. You're going to face something that is not only going to be unpleasant, it is going to be a virtual disaster. You and I are going to have to be strong enough to weather it. We're going to have to have a faith sufficiently grounded and stable so that we can emerge victorious through that difficulty. No wonder we read passages like Philippians 4.13 in which we can see, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Do you and I believe that? That you and I can do all things remaining steadfast, faithful, and true despite anything that Satan may hurl our way. That statement only leads us to note Revelation 3.21. Talk about incentive. Who does heaven wait for? Revelation 3.21 says, Heaven waits for those who overcome. You see, we can't be those who allow the weeds to take us over and clutter out and choke out the good. We must be perseverant and steadfast, no matter the difficulties, and allow that which is noble and right to grow in our lives. If you and I overcome in that fashion, we should be reminded of Matthew 10.22. Though that was fairly early in the Lord's ministry, what was it Jesus there said? Perhaps you can quote it as well. He that endureth to the end shall be saved. You'll notice salvation waits for those that persevere and with dedication persevere to the end. How endurant are you and I? Perhaps you can think about sports activities. You and I, in fact, admire those athletes who endure to the end. They don't play just a quarter. Even in the fourth quarter, they still give it all they got because they want to be victorious. They want to win. And that marathon runner, running 10 miles isn't enough. They need to still have the fortitude and the perseverance at mile 25 to give it all they got and race toward the finish line. Do you and I do that? We read in Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, that you and I run in a race. In fact, notice the language that makes mention of the cloud of witnesses. Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight that does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured a cross, despising its shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You and I notice we, with our eyes fixed on the Master, should ever be excited and wonderfully able to run in that race. You'll notice that just like the weeds are able to grow in seemingly hard places, you and I need to be faithful even in hard times. When the difficulties come, think about verses like this one. Revelation 2 verse 10, to that church at Smyrna, the Lord directly said, Be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give thee a crown of life. 
He didn't offer an excuse and say, well, you be faithful when it's convenient. Be faithful when you feel like it. Be faithful in the good times of life. He said, be faithful, even if it requires your life. Even in the face of death, you still be faithful. As you give thought to all of those matters with me, we've learned many things from a weed. I hope the next time any of us work in our garden, we might be reminded of some things that even a weed can teach us in these teachable moments. And so it is in summary that we might well summarize them in words like these. We've learned five hopefully valuable lessons. Lessons that are anchored in the Word of God. Lessons that, in fact, can be exemplified with practicality and application in your life and mine. First of all, weeds grow without effort. The bad habits and weeds in your life, if you don't check them and eliminate them, they will overtake you, choking out what's good. And oddly enough, they may appear attractive. Weeds can actually appear that way, but there is a lurking eternal danger behind them. We learn in the fourth place that these weeds remind us of what happened in Eden. The curse that's on this earth with its thistles and thorns, punished by God because of sin. And may we never forget what sin will always do. It'll lead to death. Romans 6.23 Finally and lastly, we've learned that we should be steadfast and unmovable. A person of perseverance as we, in fact, allow good to grow no matter how difficult the circumstances may be. Today, what about your life as you examine yourself? Are you in the faith? 2 Corinthians 13.5 If we could aid you in your public obedience today, realize that God beckons you. He calls. He sent His Son to give His life and shed His blood for you. And it's only in that way that your sins can be cleansed. Jesus, in fact, is the perfect gardener. He will take away all the weeds if you let Him help you. He will remove everything, thorns and thistles alike, in your life if you'll only let Him. But, friend, you can't do it by yourself. Spiritually, you and I are not good gardeners. We aren't. We allow weeds to grow. We fail to check them. And certainly, at times, we even encourage their growth. All the while, we often know better. Today, if you need to step out on the promises of God, maybe you've never become a Christian. Don't let another day pass. If you know that you're in sin and you know that you're destined for hell in your current state, don't stay that way. Come in obedience to the life of the Master. He requires that you believe Him to be the Son of God, Matthew 6, Mark 16, 16. He requires you repent of your sins, Acts 2, 38. He requires that you confess Him before the hearing of others, Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. He requires you be baptized for the remission of your sins, Acts twenty-two sixteen. At that point, you have begun your life and the weeds are not there. Don't start letting them grow. If you have begun to let them grow again, and maybe they've gotten to the point of practically overtaking your life, it's time to make a change. Open the garden door and let the gardener back in. Not only is he the great physician... He's the perfect gardener. If we need to pray on your behalf today for God to forgive you of those sins, why not let it happen today? The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, James 5.16. And if we could be of assistance to you, why not let us do that while together we stand and while we sing?